0: So you could tell things were getting out of control. I was definitely having suicidal thoughts. I didn't attempt suicide, um, but I was thinking every day I didn't want to be here because the feelings were drowning me.
1: Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Breanne davis gant Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We will hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to go to your grave with? Are those lighter, funnier secrets that are plain, plain embarrassing? Really the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Natasha. Now, Natasha, I have a question for you
0: done 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 what is your secret my secret is I have well I suffer with borderline personality disorder this means that sufferers which is me survivors Mm -hmm. sufferers sufferers we struggle to regulate our emotions
1: yeah and I haven't when you reached out to me I did I've never heard of this can you give a little bit more information to the people like that are unaware or naive like myself
0: so first of all if you google bpd you're going to be met with a lot of crap that's not good yeah that's first there's a huge stigma attached to this disorder and Mm -hmm. it's been you know a lot of psychiatrists have said it's actually the most painful disorder um why why did they say that they say that because we haven't got the skills we weren't born with the skills or maybe we lost them along the way Mm -hmm. um in life how to regulate our emotions this means that we feel things a lot more intensely than others which means that our behaviors can seem a bit over the top Um, so if you google bpd glenn close and facial attraction will most likely come up (sighs) you know, all this crap, stalkers, you know, really negative things. But I'm I'm, you know, I'm really hoping to reduce that stigma. And it's it's a very complex um disorder and it can cut it, you know, it's not like we haven't got character. There's something very, you know, we have our character separate to BPD, Mm -hmm. but because the criteria is so specific, the symptoms, um, it's harder to find the character, if I'm honest, like within that. Within this disorder. So, what were some of your symptoms? Can you name a couple of them? Sure. So, well, I was diagnosed really late. So, I was diagnosed at age 33. I'm 34 now. And um, wow. So, less than a year, right? Yeah. Well, it was this year. So, I was diagnosed and then London went into lockdown. So, oh, it was part Well,
1: here's yeah. the blessing you actually knew what was wrong before lockdown.
0: Totally. And corona just felt like, you know, it was ridiculous compared well, to Well for I, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, in comparison to being given this diagnosis, came a lot of shame. But anyway, going back to your question, the symptoms started super when I was super young. Mm-hmm. Um, hypersexuality is definitely a symptom. Okay. Um, I didn't realise that until I was researching into it. It's not really talked about much, but kind of an interest into sex at quite a young age, which can be quite, you know, age inappropriate. So I'd find myself like sneaking downstairs, watching pretty women where I shouldn't be, Right. which sounds ridiculous. And I know a lot of kids do that, but just a fascination, almost like an obsession with that. Um, did you, that here's the,
1: my question and you don't have yeah. to answer it, but did you start masturbating at a young age? Uh, Yeah, that definitely occurred.
0: Um, yeah. Well, with my then, addiction too, uh, that was a big yeah. thing for me. Yeah, because I read, I listened to your story, and I it did really touch me as well. Uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> oh my god, that's so! I love that. Um, but the other symptom was dissociation, uh, which can be really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the you kind of. I was about to say the ability, like it's a kind of a magical power, but it's definitely not that. But it's a coping mechanism. So if something really stressful occurs. Mm-hmm you kind of feel like you're out of your own body. So yeah, you like, like float stem. out of your body or you're yeah. just not there. Yeah, and it's usually our brain's defense mechanism, you know, protection, protection and um, just trying to, you know, we, we take things usually, I digest things a lot slower, I think. And I think a lot of the community online, BPD community will agree with me on this one. So that was always a concern um, for my parents. Um, but my, my mom's a psychotherapist you know and she funny enough didn't up until I was diagnosed believe that it was right to get diagnosed with personality disorder. she thought it'd be a self-fulfilling prophecy that people get worse
1: really um, that's I've never heard a psychotherapist yes. saying that because you'd usually want to find the answers and if it's this kind of thing where it's out of your control it's on everything you're saying I have to say sounds like an addiction is just different it's like is it because a chemical imbalance or do they know why it happens in in your mind
0: well that's an interesting question but going back to what you said about how about psychotherapists view on yeah. it um, I can't speak on behalf of all of them but it was certainly uh in Britain it's because in America you guys are really Forward thinking in and and research wise, are much more um, in the know about BPD, mm-hmm. you know, and the. And I think that's, that's something to really think about, but I don't remember what you just asked me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. No, we lose track because I was just saying it, you're, it sounds like an addiction. I'm very sensitive. Yes, I'm overly sensitive. I sometimes can't process my emotions. I want to disassociate and go use other things or like everything's extreme. Yeah. So it's, it's, it sounds very similar to someone with an addiction. And it's also, did they say it was like, um, a hormonal imbalance, or that was it. Where does it stem
0: from? So there's been research uh, done in the states that basically we've they've done CAT scans on like mm-hmm. um, and how a healthy individual's mind, brain, mm-hmm. and someone with BPD. And actually, I don't know the correct terms, but I can certainly look it up and maybe send it to you later. But um, there's certain parts of our brain that is that are that is bigger and okay. smaller, and there's certain parts of our brain that the impulsivity is a really a massive symptom. Um we don't have the ability to self-soothe. So mm. we'll reach for quick fixes. So I know what you mean about addiction, but the real the real telling sign is is suicidal ideation. Oh. Now that's very different to suicidal behavior. Yeah. Um but most sufferers, I think the percentage of people with BPD who will try to commit suicide at least once in their lifetime is over 70%. Wow and that's a really scary but real stat you know and I think the reason why I'm glad I got diagnosed was that I was in and out psychotherapy since I was 15 Mm -hmm. Nothing helped but dialectical behavioral therapy which was invented by Dr. Marshall Linehan who has BPD herself (laughs) um she invented this special type of therapy that is basically Buddhist wisdom mixed Mm -hmm. with cbt and it was a game changer for me like i'm so much better than i've ever
1: been i love that but i do want to say you know london went on lockdown you got this diagnosis what did you bottom was there a moment where you were like something has to change or like i don't want to be here anymore
0: yeah i mean i was i had a really bad breakup um Mm. in summer last year so the fear of abandonment was real yeah and uh then I lost my lost touch with one of my best friends. Um, we had a massive fallout because I wasn't being a good friend to her. She was planning a wedding. She ended up uninviting me to her wedding, which mm. is heartbreaking. Then I had an abortion. So you could tell things were getting out of control. I was definitely having suicidal thoughts. I didn't attempt suicide, um, but I was thinking every day I didn't want to be here because the yeah. feelings were drowning me. Yeah, I I can
1: identify. I, I, I even say before, like it's not that I didn't want. It's not that I wanted to kill myself. I just didn't want to feel this pain anymore. Exactly. And that's how you got to that place where you you lost your friend. Which losing a friendship is ten times worse than a breakup. I just have really? to say, yes. it is literally the worst yeah. loss in the. I feel you know, yeah. you know, other than someone dying, but it feels like a death.
0: It does feel like a death. Because of all those memories, you know, which I've learned that I'll always treasure. But I, I've identified through a lot of therapy, that it wasn't a healthy friendship. Because what yeah. kind of friend dumps you in a crisis? You know, I know she had a wedding and people get bridezilla, but I needed her and she wasn't there. But But, but, (laughs) Yeah, but listen, you know, probably like you said,
1: you weren't a great friend either. Because when I look back at my big friend breakup, when I was getting into my, you know, sobriety, I realized I couldn't show up as a friend because I didn't have that part of myself. I didn't know how to show
0: up for myself, let alone somebody else. That's very wise. And you're right. I think I was just getting... That was the little anger popping out. Yeah,
1: yeah. Little just resentment. Finished. Little resentment is popping out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, I do love you wrote me this email and you also said, did you think you were a sex and love addict because you
0: over-sexualized as one of your coping me- mechanisms? I basically was diagnosed with depression and potentially anxiety but it was depression and then I just thought I was kinky I just thought oh I'm just (laughs) like having loads of sex I'm a bit of a womanist I don't say feminist for a reason but why don't you say feminist so Alice (laughs) no was it Alice Walker or Tony Morrison one of them they kind of they coined the term womanist and it means that it's not just about um feminism is literally usually associated with with white middle-class females whereas I'm Persian um Mm -hmm. And it's the belief that you can be a mother, you can be a kick-ass, independent woman working, Mm -hmm. and you can want all these things. Whereas sometimes I think radical feminism is a bit uh, problematic in that way. I'm talking about radical feminism, Mm -hmm. so we've gone off point. (laughs)
1: No, I love off point, but like anybody listening, we're not saying feminism is bad. She's just saying it's it's a different, yeah, it's a different way. You can be a mother, you can be a wife, you can be a kick-ass businesswoman. Yeah, and also it identifies um,
0: kind of culture, you know, because there's Mm. a lot of, you know, feminists, white feminists that talk about, oh my God, these Muslim women are so repressed. Actually, my grandmother was a Muslim and she was the most liberated, kick-ass woman I've ever met. Well, Let's get
1: back on point because we can okay. go off and off. But yeah. so you were diagnosed. What was that feeling, that moment? Was it an aha moment? Was it a shame moment? What was that for you when they said, you have borderline personality disorder?
0: It was everything you just said um, and <laughs> relief. But I threw the phone on the floor because obviously I had to do it via Zoom because mm-hmm. we were, I think I was getting a cold and I thought I had Corona and then we were going into lockdown anyway. Um, But he said, the reason why I threw my phone on the floor is because the psychiatrist said, yeah, you you know, you've got it quite bad. You must feel exhausted all the time. And I just started crying. And he said, I said, is there a cure? What, you know, is there a cure? And he just didn't say anything, but he squinched his face and said, "Mm." And that's, that's when I lost my shit. And I I dropped my phone down. Uh I started drinking wine, crying. (laughs) I think I, um, I texted my family and, you know, they were pretty distraught, but it was difficult. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think there's validation. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's this moment
1: where you're like, oh my God, I have this huge overwhelming thing and I don't know what to do with that information. But then at the same time, it's like, oh my God, I'm not broken. And something's not like there is an answer.
0: Yeah. But I think a lot of people I've noticed and quite actually been like, BPD community mm-hmm. on Instagram. And I've noticed some people, you know, they react different to it. Some people do get worse from being diagnosed. Really? Other people, Yeah. You know, or they, or they glamorize it, which I really have a problem with because I don't understand how you could, anyone could think that this is glamorous. What um, do you, what do you mean they glamorize it? How do they do that? Well, I say glamor, but I'm not sure that's the right word, but I have unfollowed a lot of people because mm-hmm. they'll post very triggering posts. It's great to express yourself, but if you want to post pictures with your arm that's visibly been, you've been self-harming. I think that's very irresponsible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're not looking out for people. How about some, you know, you're kind of fulfilling the stereotype of we're all just, you know, a bit self-centered. Like, I don't agree with that. I don't support people who latch on or hide behind their diagnosis Mm -hmm. um, and use it as an excuse. It's tricky i don't want to sound judgy but i just i it affects me you know when i see people in our community kind of not dedicating themselves to healing like haven't you suffered enough
1: well that's even the addicts community it's i think Mm -hmm. anything we cannot use as an excuse it's taking responsibility for your action yes i'm an addict yes i have all these tendencies and character defects but is it okay for me to be run by them no And I think it sounds like the same thing. Like, yes, you have BPD disorder, but you can't use that as an excuse to abuse other people.
0: Agreed. I think we can be toxic. You know, I think our symptoms can lead to really destructive behaviors and hurt people we love the most. Mm -hmm. It's not a get out of jail free card, but I just want to stress it's, um, it's, we've been told we've been labeled as manipulative, but Let's think about the word being manipulative. It's about trying to make someone's behavior change so you get something out of it. Right. But we don't know the skills of self-soothing. So it's distress. It's not attention seeking, it's distress. Is some of the things you're
1: working on now that you know is how to self-soothe in a healthy way? Yes.
0: It's changed my life honestly, Brianna, I love DBT. DBT skills are have such a high success rate with Reducing the symptoms of BPD. I plan to get reassessed in two years' time mm-hmm. to see if I fit the bill still, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping I don't because a lot of people have done that and don't fit the bill anymore. You know.
1: And so, can you awesome. Nate, can you tell me some of the things you do so the audience can understand that how you can you know
0: reverse those mm. tendencies? I think first and foremost, you have to uh, radically accept. That two things can exist at the same time.
1: Exactly.
0: I love that. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. It's it's really hard to to digest that, Mm -hmm. especially if you've been used to a way of living and a way of being. Um, It's just, it's so basic. DBT is compromised of four Mm modules we've got interpersonal effectiveness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and mindfulness okay and we have a bunch of skills they're all basically in shorthand like acronyms um and they just give you the tools so for example like um the dear man skill it's about if you have an issue with something or someone Mm -hmm. to use dear man so d D stands for describe e is express Mm -hmm. r is reinforce and then it kind of goes on from there and like We say story a lot. We always feel guilty and it's just about checking the facts to see if what you're feeling matches with the facts.
1: The reality. Yeah, with the reality, exactly. Right. Well, that's almost the same thing as doing like a resentment on someone or a four-step on someone in, in my program. It's like, oh, really? what, oh yeah, what you just described is exactly like a four-step. So four-step is you, you look at the situation, you write uh-huh. how that made you feel, what they did. And mm-hmm. the other side of it, you see, what was your part? What did you add to it? What character defects for you came up? And that yes. you see that, yes, you were wrong, but you also added it. So there's your feelings are real, but they're, they're not always the full picture.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's super interesting. And I think also it, it made me realize that I always thought if you're not emotional, mm-hmm. you're not being authentic. Or I could never be a good artist or a good writer.
1: And then, so how is now not having that drama? Because you are an artist, you're a writer, and we've talked about that. So how is it different?
0: So I don't drink myself into an oblivion anymore. I don't, yay. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> I'm not to Um, I have boundaries. Now, boundaries is key to recovery. I'm sure you will agree with me on this yes. one. Um, that I really struggled with that. I honestly did. Like, I didn't, I felt like I was being rude if I said no to my sister or my mom one day if they needed me. But I just think niceness flows naturally if you're looking after yourself first.
1: I agree. And we also said, like, there's power in saying no.
0: Yes, the power
1: of no. Yeah, it's everybody thinks they have to always say yes. And it's like, no, to say no gives you so much self esteem it's a self esteemed
0: building yeah. act and I think as a writer I feel more authentic like since I've been regulating my emotions because I mean don't get me wrong when I've had a, you know when I've been drinking loads I'll get depressed obviously yeah after, well lots of
1: people being, do it's a it's a yeah. depressant
0: it like makes you depressed you have a down yeah and I'd create great content and great not content sorry I'd create great poetry very Sylvia Plath vibe but It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. That's what I Mm realised. Like, I feel like I'm on my way to sobriety. I still enjoy a glass of wine now and again, but I feel more in touch with who I really am, which was impossible to find when... I was in crisis, undiagnosed, I was spiraling. It was awful,
1: and you said, so are you are you trying not to drink? Do you like regulate
0: your drink? Do you think you're an alcoholic on top of it or no? No, I think I've battled with binge drinking in the past, mm-hmm. um, but I think now I mindfully drink if that makes sense, it might sound ridiculous, but <laughs> i I basically drink i don't I'm very mindful, so I don't drink when I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. I don't drink when I'm depressed. I'll have a drink." when I want one (laughs) which sounds bad
1: it it sounds a little I'm like trying my face right now you just see it it's like huh which is fine and I think you know your culture in London really I I could be
0: oh don't alcoholics you guys drink
1: a lot like I've worked with people that are British
0: and they drink a lot (laughs) I know it's so sad but I think it's I mean, that's going off on a tangent, I suppose. But British cultures, we know. I love Britain. I love London. But they're very reserved, and you know. And I think it's they're not really good as as you guys are in terms of like talking about emotions. Like, you know, psychotherapy in your eyes in in the states is like going to the doctor. You know, it's fine here. It's still very much a taboo. Really, I I think it's like a massage for your
1: soul. Like. it's like the yeah. best thing you could ever do for yourself even if you're not in a place of like desperation just going and it's just like letting it all out with someone that is nothing at stake
0: yeah me and my sister always had that same mentality because my our mother was a psychotherapist but yeah. i noticed when i told my friends when i was 16 that i'm in therapy and they looked at me like Oh, God, you know. What's wrong that, with you? Yeah, and it's still very much, is getting better because everyone's a mess because of Corona and lockdown here. But <laughs> I mean, it's a big, it's, just, it's difficult. You guys are a bit more um, tolerant of it, I think.
1: Yeah, but I definitely think on our side of the world, we are a bunch of sex and love addicts. Like we're over-sexualized really? <laughs> in the United States. That's what I believe. Anybody can, you know, email me and tell me I'm wrong. But we mm. sensationalize sex and love addiction.
0: Um, yes. Do you find true.
1: that on your side also?
0: Um, I honestly have never really heard of anybody being openly, um, a sex and love addict. That's why I was really quite drawn to your podcast episode about it. And it really moved me because you don't hear about it.
1: That's so crazy because, you know, I have to tell you that London is the third largest sex and love addict community. <gasps> really? Yeah. There's tons of sobriety in London. I've gone to meetings, you know, Zoom meetings, but yeah. I have to say it's LA, New York, and then London
0: and then Australia. Okay, I've been living under a rock then for the past couple of years, but that's that's good to hear because I'm I'm glad. Yeah, it's it's
1: literally all over the world now and London is a great community. So if you are like struggling and having trouble in a relationship or any of that, please yeah. go find those meetings. Okay. No, I
0: will. Not really you, useful. but they're.
1: It's so. Thank real. you. It's the best community ever, and I think with you, like, because we talked about the sexuality and that you oversexualized a lot, and you had partners, and you loved casual sex. Are you finding yourself missing that now that you're on the other side of your diagnosis?
0: No, I kind of. I I kind of feel sad when I look back into those times of my life. Really, because I was yeah, genuinely, I didn't. I enjoyed it, but I feel sad because um, I feel like I dissociated a little bit. And it obviously yeah. it was a coping mechanism, but I'd, I honestly, since DBT, it's really made me just do a bit of a, a 180. Oh, I love that.
1: I love <laughs> that you see these moments in your life where you were not completely connected. And that mm-hmm. now that you got the diagnosis, you're like free from that
0: impulsion. Yeah, I feel, I don't want to run away
1: anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay, I know we're talking (laughs) all over about, you know, this, and I I, I love this conversation, but I want to go to my favorite question, the seven deadly sins. And I'm going to name them for you. And let me know if, you know, before your diagnosis or now, if any of them ring true. So we got pride, greed, lust,
0: gluttony, envy, anger,
1: and sloth
0: right swing definitely swing between I'm better than everyone else and mm-hmm. I know everything to I know nothing everybody's amazing I wish I didn't exist uh yeah well, yeah
1: oh my god I love that because that rings so true for me and I bet other people <laughs> listening we all swing from like narcissists to like mm. worthlessness
0: yeah it's black and white thinking which is definitely a symptom of BPD. Uh, I don't have that now um I do sometimes get really excited and it does go to my ego. So maybe mm. that is pride when I get nice messages from people in the community saying how much they feel inspired by me. But I don't know. Maybe that, that isn't pride anyway.
1: Well, I always feel like it's pride when people reach out to me when I make it about me, like I did something for me. It's been really helpful that I say it's this is not me. This is like something bigger than me just to help other people.
0: That's how I deal with it as well, because I think that, that that it becomes a bit toxic, I think. Yeah, because you're like, ooh, I'm
1: amazing. I'm so helpful yeah. to all these people. Listen to my amazing voice. And it's like, yeah. no, it's not about you, lady. Get out of the way.
0: Yeah, I'm Donnie <laughs> Love. Exactly. You
1: <laughs> um, then we have greed, lust, gluttony, envy, yeah.
0: anger, and sloth. So greed is definitely overeating. Um, my relationship with food was really bad. I don't mm. have that anymore. Overspending. Again, terrible. Um, I was in debt. Um, and I just, every time I had money, I'd spend it on crap and overloving. Wow. It, it
1: really seems like your diagnosis, it was yeah. like you would whack a mole to every addiction, it seems like. Like you couldn't manage, like you said, you would eat or you would spend yeah. or you would have sex or you would you're you would be angry or it would be all about your ego. It was like all over the place. Yeah, it was a hot
0: mess. I don't know about hot, but I was a mess.
1: <laughs> no, I love it when I'm like a hot mess. I'm like, I'm a hot mess. Like, But I think, I think if anybody's listening, if they're having that and they can't regulate it, maybe looking into it. Because like I said, I didn't hear about it. And when I'm listening, I can go, oh my God, I know someone
0: that might actually have this. Yeah, I do think I'm really against self-diagnosis. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's um, dangerous. (laughs) And I think the truth is, you know what, we're all on the spectrum of every personality disorder. My psychiatrist said this, but the the issue is it's a good idea to get assessed if it's really affecting your relationship and your Mm. self-esteem to the point where, you know, it's interrupting your development. And that's why I got assessed.
1: I think that's great. I think that's great. But I do say if you're listening and you, you know, have one or two of these, maybe looking into, there is some self-diagnosis. There's on sex and love addiction, there's 40 questions. And if you get more than five, they usually say, maybe look into this. This is, this is an issue, but I love that. But okay, here's the benefit. Where was the benefit in keeping this from, you know? I guess you didn't really know about it, but did it harm someone and did it benefit someone?
0: It's weird. I feel like I've always known I've had something, I don't like to say wrong with me, but I was suffering with something and I knew it wasn't just depression. And it felt like a secret. It felt like I was, I just felt like I was a bad person. Right. Um, And it harmed everyone around me, including my employees. You know, I was always having a a flirt with my boss or something. And it confused mm. my loved ones, you know, leaving them feeling helpless and often guilty, which I still feel bad for, but I'm learning to forgive myself.
1: Yeah. Cause that wasn't you. It was your, you know, it was you, but it wasn't you. It was, I would say it was like your addict self or yourself that wasn't at a higher place. Yeah. That you
0: were just trying to survive it was weird I really felt woke but I really my eyes tight shut I always thought I think everyone in their 20s think they know everything anyway but <laughs> I, <laughs> you know nothing if You're in your 20s and you listen to this good luck because um you'll realize you'll be enlightened when I'm I can't and that's why I love getting old I love I love getting older I, I do I get too wiser.
1: yeah and there's a point where you're just like you're like, fuck it. I don't care anymore. (laughs) You're like, I just don't, I don't need to be liked by everyone, but I, it's not okay for me to be a selfish, self-seeking person.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: But I, I had this thought when you were just talking that, did you tell people right away or was there a secret before you told people what was going on?
0: Oh my God, I love this question because it it might make you laugh. So my way of dealing with my diagnosis and telling people, I told my loved ones Mm -hmm. and I decided, right, I'm going to tell the world. So I decided to, (laughs) I got in touch with my local paper. (gasps) I got a picture of me and my kitten at the time, Frank on the front page. I did a charity, um, indoor cycling charity spin for mind. I, um, I basically wanted everyone to know impulsivity put to good use um wow. and, I, and i just wanted to help people i just thought you know fuck it if this is what i've got let's make the best of a shit situation and yeah that's what I
1: wow did. i'm impressed <laughs> i mean that sounds a little nutty to me a little bit but i love it because it's like all right here it is here i am all the yeah. all the crap and all you know what i mean yeah
0: but wow. that's, but that's you know, oversharing is a symptom as well. Yeah. Usually we, we overshare to strangers, but this was my protective shield because I said, you know what, it's not just about me, like you were just saying. I want to raise awareness of this highly stigmatised, misunderstood condition, and I want to raise money for Mind, which is a leading charity here in the UK for mental health because I want to give back. I don't want people to reach, you know, crisis and then just disappear because they didn't know what... They were suffering from.
1: No, I love it. it. And that's how I feel now. But it took me 10 years of sobriety. But that's how I feel now. When I did that HuffPost article, I was like, this is not about me anymore. I need to give away bigger than just my community.
0: I've got goosebumps. BPD is very, very moved. Okay, I'm not going to call it the BPD. It's not a voice, but I'm
1: just moved. Okay, here's my last question for you. If anybody's listening and they're struggling and they can't find the answers – How?
0: What would be your advice for them? Be gentle with yourself. That's Mm -hmm. the first piece of advice I'd always give people. Um, If you think you've got BPD, if you've just been diagnosed, I can speak from my own experience, continuous practice Mm -hmm. of DBT and incorporating the skills into your life moment by moment is key. And you've just got to practice, as cheesy as it sounds, self-love and most importantly, self-forgiveness giving back i can't stress enough is the oldest you know spiritual wisdom tip and it bloody works it's our responsibility to teach others how we've got this and um and how you know we're not all Glen close to facial attraction
1: ah, i love that because i have to tell you on my side giving back is the only thing that keeps me sober and sane and and in serenity, you know, Mm. and I just love that, that you take something that could be this like diagnosis and you're turning it into something beautiful.
0: Yeah. I think shame is one of the most heaviest emotions that humans can feel. And it's Mm -hmm. so toxic. And I, I just, I feel so sad when I, see, when I see people emailing me and stuff saying, I've got this, I feel ashamed. But I remind them and myself, it's a process. Yeah. you know There will be shame, but then there'll be relief.
1: Well, and Natasha, I am so grateful you reached out to me. Please tell our audience where they can get in touch with you, ask you questions, get support. Um, I'm an
0: over-the-top woman on Instagram.
1: Perfect. So I will have all that information. I will put links. I'll put links where you can go and read more about BPD and all that involved. So thank you so much for sharing your truth, sharing your secret, and being so open and vulnerable with us.
0: Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Me
1: too. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.